0: This is Life I Swear, where we share stories and reflections from Black women about trials in their lives that have helped them heal, connect, and process. Every week, we hold space for storytelling that both challenges and inspires us to be good to ourselves. I'm your host, Chloe Dulce-Livueso. Today's episode is brought to you by Weekend Mood, a sustainable loungewear brand encouraging you to enjoy leisurely living every single day. Visit weekendmood.com, that's W-K-N-D mood.com, and check out their launch line of 100% premium linen robes and lifestyle accessories. Enjoy a 10% discount at checkout with your purchase with the code Life, I swear. Morgan Ashley, she is electric. The co-founder of the Bohemian Brands, Morgan is a creative, a curator of other creatives, an Atlanta-loving Oakland native, and a self-proclaimed extrovert, one with a voice of her own that took years to regain after it'd been taken from her. I've been a fangirl of Morgan since discovering her work. The Bizarre Bohemian, Souk Bohemian, and my latest love, the coffee table book, Brown Bohemians. Without knowing her story, something told me to reach out, and I am so glad I did, because talking to Morgan excites me. She holds her head high with reason and cause and knocks down whatever unsuccessfully tries to threaten her voice and her fight for Black people. And the fangirling continues. Brown Bohemians, honoring the light and magic of our creative community, is a beautiful work of art and addition to the home. You can purchase your copy at powerhousebookstores.com or on Amazon. And now, let's get into it.
1: Ashley, that's me, wonderful name, but co founder of Bohemian Brands. And as I sit here, actually, as inspiration for this talk, I have your coffee table book sitting right Yay. in front of me, <laughs> Brown Bohemians. So I encourage everyone to get a copy because it's beautiful. And I love how this book and what you and Vanessa have built together is sort of a soft landing for creatives or really anyone that doesn't fit into the mold, the best sense of what that means, you know? And it was, you said four years in the making. Yes. Four and some change. That's wild. That's, I mean, it it takes, and I know it takes a lot to curate all those stories. Yeah, Um, we gave birth. I really, I'd like to say I still have stretch marks from it and like (laughs) a backache child. It was a lot. I love that metaphor. I am one for metaphors. I love it. But one thing I also instantly loved about just chatting with you immediately. And I think this speaks to storytelling as we're talking about the coffee table book is that you're just so clear on your voice and, you know, in a world where voices, are undermined and muted, yeah. especially black voices, especially w- female women voices, especially queer voices. There is not just fearlessness in being loud and proud of who you are, but there's also like an authenticity of showing up to any space as you are. And so I'm the same I've, everywhere I go. Yeah. I've, and I love it. And I, I, it resonates, but how has being all of those various identities Independently and intersectionality, like in a world that doesn't always complement them, how have those identities sort of challenged or catalyzed your voice? That is a great question. I guess so. Challenges for sure, uh, especially I think
2: about like my younger years, and so I think people, most folks, whether you know me from social media or in real life or from you know my past lives or this life, child. Most people will tell you like I'm a loud mouth and confrontational Mm -hmm. and like all the things that I'm told not to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is intentional and took a lot of work. So now I'm okay with making other people uncomfortable. Where before Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to be uncomfortable because I'm afraid of what you're going to think about me, what you're going to say about me, if you're not going to accept me. And now I really just don't give a fuck. So, you know, people are like, oh, you can't say that. A white person might hear you. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, oh. And I'm like, I'm going to speak openly about racism. I'm going to speak openly about homophobia. I'm going to speak openly about whatever I feel strongly about, whether it upsets you or not. And so in my younger years, I definitely like, I was going to say to you, I lost my voice, but I don't really know if I did. I think it was taken from me. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak very openly about being molested in public. I'm at a YMCA when I was in I'm really bad with dates and trauma. I'm going to be honest with you. I was young. I was, I was young somewhere. We believe sometime in between like third grade and fifth grade.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so, so long, so many years, I was so quiet. I mean, I was like the kid who like, you maybe didn't even know was standing in the room. I was Mm -hmm. so quiet, you know, had really bad social anxiety in my mind. I took what happened to me that day and I knew I caused it because I was what I was wearing Maybe what Mm -hmm. I was saying, how I was looking at this person, like I knew it was my fault. And so I thought if I just hide in a corner emotionally and and physically Mm -hmm. even, then bad things won't happen to me is what I thought as a kid. So I was very quiet and it just took years and years of work and also speaking openly about what happened to me to regain my voice. And so now you won't shut me up and I won't have it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so it's always surprising when people hear that part of my childhood and, like, I can't imagine you be a quiet girl or, you know, didn't mm-hmm. speak up and da da da. I didn't have this sense of confidence and I really didn't. But I just knew in my core that's not who I was meant to be. So it just took years of so much work. And I'm, again, I'm so okay with making people uncomfortable and using my voice. So that day when I was molested, right, I didn't know how to say stop. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, I say stop anytime or no, anytime I will yell it out because I couldn't, I I didn't know how to do it then.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. So my inner
2: child now was like Mm -hmm. awake and available and has the voice to speak up for herself. And so that's what I'm doing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, I was going to say that inner child, it's it it takes like some living to do before we're able to tap back into her. Were there any milestones along your journey of regaining your voice and regaining your sense of confidence and sense of self were there any moments in time that you remember that um, Mm moved the needle in getting yourself back
2: yeah so a few things just crossed my mind just now is that one i don't want you know black folks deal with so much pain and trauma and i don't want this to be a story of pain and Mm -hmm. trauma but -hmm. when you asked me that question what popped into my head first and foremost was like more trauma happened and Mm -hmm. so i think just you know, yeah, I've been through a lot of shit. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think even those negative moments and those experiences also helped me. Like, I was like, okay, I was molested. That did not feel good emotionally and physically or any of those things. And like, you know, a, a year or so after that I was almost kidnapped. Right. Uh-huh. I was like this, I I don't want to be victim. I don't want to be a victim of these uh-huh. things that are happening to me. And so like Morgan, you have to use your voice. You have to stand up for yourself. You know, you have to uh-huh. be confident you have to know who you are, even as a kid, like, right. I don't, obviously I didn't have that language then, but yeah, I just, uh, uh, even after that, I wish it was like, oh, I, I found my voice and like, shit was just great. And like, I had a you know fun childhood and I did, you know, I don't also want this to come mm-hmm, across like I right. just had a life of fucking pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had a lot of it. So those were those sort of markers for me to like, continue to move forward and like know that there are positive things that will continue to happen to me outside of that trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And also lots of joy. I think that's important as much Mm -hmm. as you can learn from pain and and all the bad shit that may happen in this life. Also lots of joy having a mom who is phenomenal and has shown up for me in ways that are like, I can't even, and probably will never understand, you know, supportive other supportive family members and friends and just other black women in particular around me who just, even when they weren't saying anything, were like, little girl, like you, you gotta be you, you know, like just even in the energy that folks in my community, in my neighborhood growing up, like came across to me, those are, I just think about those women in those moments, even just the little things, you know, just that wouldn't make sense to almost anybody but me, Mm -hmm. but having someone see you. Yeah. That's like what I held on to, I guess, instead of like the, the bad shit that happened. So that's what keeps occurring to me. Are those little like kind of landmarks of having someone see me and confirm who I am and who I was meant to be? You know,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. What you said resonated with me about how when you were younger and your when you didn't have a voice, like I was. So I was molested as well when I was um, young, and I didn't learn about mm-hmm. it until I was a teenager. But it's crazy how those experiences kind of trigger people differently. And so yes. um, how we almost heal them later in adulthood differently, yeah. different needs, like yours was your voice and mine was like, like giving myself grace really. So when I found out and f- found out the whole story, I became at like, when was it? I was 14. I became super perfectionist and I'm already a Virgo. So that was already, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but like, I mean like on 10 I wasn't comparing myself to other people I was comparing myself to myself like this can't be my story you know I can't be a victim so I'm going to excel I'm going to kill it and to the point where it would drive me sick and so it's so interesting how we yeah the um, same thing can
2: happen to this you know to two different eight different a million different people and like you
1: chose perfection. Yep. I chose to like be a loud mouth Right. And, and <laughs> so, and then, so in your adult, in your adulthood, you're finding your voice as your like healing power. And in my adulthood, I'm telling myself to take two seats and like calm down and like, yeah. it's okay. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to prove that you're not X, you know, you already are you and that's okay. So yes. yeah, I just found that interesting. Also too, to your point about, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be loud. No one has to like, like it, but that's just me. But I also do think a lot of women, a lot of black women in particular, the reason why that's such a strong statement is because a lot of us to speak our truth and to be louder and prouder of our, of ourselves than the world is used to or comfortable seeing, that could be a huge risk for a lot of women. Oh, yes. You know, and I'm not
2: saying like, it isn't risky for me. It yeah. has been.
1: And that, I mean, whether it's in your job, you know, mm-hmm. your job being on the line or you're burning bridges in in other way, like it's, it's bold and audacious to, to do that. In French, you say "du courage." Yep. Yeah keep on doing that yes and, uh, when we say do you boo okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes but i also we talked last time about the approach to like choice because we're, we're faced with something that we fear or, or we're faced with fear it it can pluck away at our anxieties and our insecurities mm-hmm. or it's we could consider it a moment of decision you are faced with xyz you have a choice in how you're going to react. And that takes a lot of, I think, discipline of thought, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think self-awareness. Yeah. For me, that's what it's taken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does that show up for you in moments of, it doesn't have to be fear, but uncertainty? Life could either scare the shit out of us or um, it could... And fear has a, a way of like overriding our conviction or our confidence in something so quickly. Yes, fear is, but it's a liar. That bitch is a
2: liar. <laughs> I say that all the time. That bitch is a fucking liar, bro. She is a liar. <laughs> yes, yeah. and I have to sometimes literally. These are my meditations, also, just so you know. These are the things that I I don't journal, but the the my prayers and my meditations. You know, like I said, when I said to you that I'm the mm-hmm. same person in all aspects of my life, so I talk to myself in the same way I'm speaking to you in this moment. So yes, yeah, sometimes it is like, girl, no, no, you know what
1: you're capable of. That bitch is lying to you. You know, so <laughs> that reminds yeah, me, yeah, it Lisa is the right in um insecure when she's in front yes. of you. <laughs> yes, mirror girl. Yeah. Yes,
2: we all have one. And sometimes no. you know you may not even be in front of a mirror, but everybody. I feel I, Ooh, try I hope people do now. You're making me concerned, but <laughs> I do hope that everybody has a mirror persona. So whether, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be somewhere. So you need to have a conversation with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that is what it, it looks like for me. And so I will definitely be walking around my house talking out loud. Sometimes I have to curse myself out and like bring it back. And because yes, fear will have you. That's, that is, yes, I'm holding, I'm sitting with that in this moment and I feel it in my body because yes, that shit will have you doing things you have no business doing, not doing things that, you know, you're capable of, that you were trained to do, that you were educated to do, that your ancestors told you to do. So, yeah, for me, it's just real ass conversations with myself and just being like, that's not the truth. And particularly when I'm suffering through moments of depression, I'm a very like upbeat, high energy, like I'm super, super high energy just go. My mind be going, my feet be going, I walk fast. Mm-hmm. So I'm just a mover. <laughs> and I'm like the definition of a mover and a shaker. I just like, Ooh, what are we doing? Da, 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 da. Literally um, moving and shaking. <laughs> literally. And I like to shake, you know? So in those moments where my body or my mind is telling me not that I'm not capable of doing those things, that little voice, that person who sometimes sits on folks shoulder, I know that's such a lie. And so I have to be real with myself. I have to have conversations. Like I said, especially when I'm suffering through my depression, Yes, being graceful with myself is super important, something that I also do my best to do. But I know the life that I'm meant to lead and it is mm-hmm. not one of the that sadness that I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know that like, which I I guess also learned in my adulthood, it's 100% to say I need help. And so mm-hmm. I think about maybe about a year ago, I was in the kind of depression where I was like not happy that I woke up. Mm. So I don't know what what space how to describe that space between like being happy to be alive and like suicide. I mm-hmm. I was sitting in whatever that is, right? So I don't did I want to kill myself? I don't think so, but did I want to be alive? No. So again, whatever that mm-hmm. middle ground right, right. is is where I was at, right? Yeah. So I would wake up and be pissed at myself that I woke up like fuck, I don't want to be here. And by here meaning like I don't want to mm-hmm. be alive. Right. And so I I it happened a couple mornings and I was like, nope, this is right. this is not where we this is not for you. This is not for you. So reaching out to people at the time, reaching out to my boss um, and saying to her, I don't want to be here. And like, right, that was obviously alarming and triggering for her. And she was such a beautiful person and resourced me. So, you know, set mm-hmm. me up with like a, a life coach. And at the mm-hmm. time was also going to my therapist and was like, we have to amp up our appointments. So I was doing every week, I was doing therapy. Life coach and going to see my tarot card reader. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot. I called them my professionals. Yeah. And so I reached out to them and thankfully had these beautiful resources because I knew that was in a space I wanted to live in. So I, you know what it was? I didn't have I didn't have an enemy with that depression to be able to say, girl, fear is a liar. This is not where you meant to live in. So mm-hmm. I had to say to my people, to my professionals, to my community, I need help.
1: hmm I need help. Yeah. It's so funny because and this goes to to trauma as well. Mm-hmm. But when we are like, you know, when you're in the moment, you it's like the end of the world. And and I read yes. it to like when we're kids too, we think the same thing. Like I don't think we grow out of this that, yeah, like, that feeling. That feeling like whatever it is in the moment, it's like the end of the world. It's such a big deal. Everything in the present feels like make or break. You zoom out a couple years, you know, and time you know, and but yeah. the, the, it's interesting that you say a year ago, cause that was me a year ago as well. And like mm-hmm. my whole world, like just crashed within like two, three months. Uh, that is exactly how I felt too. Um, and I had, I call Life it, a will team. Do that. yeah. Like I had, um, I had a team as well, professionals and, but time I'm just like in love with the, I'm just in love with time. Like it, it yeah. And it, it in the moment of course that that's so annoying to hear like time will heal it all but 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 it's that time it's (laughs) real so be patient with life yeah
2: yeah I think for me I thought about uh, that inner child again my inner child and you know when you I don't have children but you know people always have that saying especially black folks I feel like Um, or like, you know, it takes a village, it takes a village. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yep, I, my, me and my inner child need a whole village to get me together. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I feel it. But you called out Oakland. (laughs) Yes. I I knew this conversation (laughs) was not going to end without you calling out Oakland. Oh, you (laughs) know me, you know me. (laughs) Um, For so many creatives, our environments are our muses. And the reason I'm in love with Bohemian Brands, is my nomadic spirit runs very deep. I've lived in 11 cities. Florida I think you're country. definitely more of a nomad than I am. Um, but it's a spirit too, you know. I think true, 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 true. It's a state of mind. Like, it is a state of mind. So it's not like a comparison of places, but it, our environment I feel like our, our muses, even if you are a local person, like you look around and you can be inspired by, when I lived in New York, like I immediately picked up photography and like mm. every single corner of Harlem inspired me. Like the man yeah. on the street, the bodega guy, the like yeah, everything, so beautiful. the sounds and, and I was local. So, but you've relocated from Northern Cali, from Oakland mm-hmm. to Atlanta, not Air- Atlanta,
2: Georgia, but just Atlanta.
1: Yeah, yes, oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, I've spent some time in Atlanta, and it's very different outside the city. So um, different. But how has how have both of those cities that you've called home been a unique muse to your creativity?
2: First and foremost, Oakland is like my heart. It is mm-hmm. everything. It is why, you know, outside of my my family, it has made me everything of who I am. So I was born in Berkeley, raised in Oakland started college in San Francisco and then moved to Atlanta in 2009, January 6th at nine fifty five PM is when I touched <laughs> down 2009. It was very interesting. I'd only visited, I think one time before I moved here. So Oakland was all really that I knew. I mean, I had lived in Berkeley a bit too and went to Berkeley schools, but the Bay area specifically those three cities were really what I knew. And it's a beautiful space to grow up in, especially I'm going to say like post 2010, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like in a way the Bay area has like invented gentrification, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, we're like, Oh, that looks cute. Let's do it. And then the rest of the country was like, Oh, okay. Yes. Let's displace black folks and like open yoga studios and every corner, like all that shit. So, I'm talking when we call, you know, old Oakland, Oakland Mm -hmm. before the new names of the neighborhoods and things like that. Like, I would never want to be from anywhere else in the world. My pride for my city runs so deep. Like, we will fight if you talk about Oakland. Mm -hmm. But it's also was this liberal bubble. And I remember getting my first taste of like, oh, not everybody thinks like me, right? That happened around Proposition 8. And I remember seeing people protest against gay folks being able to get married. And I was like, wait a second. There's people in California who don't think Mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way, you know, because I grew up going to pride and like all of that. So I was like, wait, if there are people in Oakland who feel like this, like what else is the rest of the country doing? Right. And so in 2008, I was going to school in uh, San Francisco. The school closed when the economy went down. And so I found myself out of college. And so I was like, well, what the fuck am I about to do? Cause I had worked so hard to get into school mm-hmm. and I was like, I have to move. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. Because if I don't leave now, because Oakland is so great and the Bay Area is so wonderful, I'm mm-hmm. never going to leave. Mm-hmm. And there's no shade to people who like grow up in a town and never go. But like, I just yeah couldn't do it. And I didn't have intentions when I had that thought process to live here for like long term. I just like, I gotta go now. Mm -hmm. and I will tell you, I didn't pick Atlanta first. So I'm a big city girl. I'm, you know, again, this mover and shaker attitude. I can't be in a little small town. So I was like, okay, I got to do major cities, Mm -hmm. but I also don't do snow. So (laughs) I was like, there's no New York. There's no Chicago. There's no Boston. Okay. Well, where am I going to go? I flew down to LA to hang out with a friend who was going to school down there you know, LA and the Bay are like two different countries. You speak mm-hmm. a different language, different oh, yeah. culture, different food, It's Absolutely. two very different places. And I just felt the pressure of like LA and Hollywood. And I'm a bit of a lush. So I'm, <laughs> I won't tell you no for things that are probably illegal. So I stay in my lane. So I just felt all this pressure to like do this and like take that. and like, yes, I'll have some of this and, you know, smoke a little bit. I was like, I, this is not girl this is not for you mm-hmm. so I knew I couldn't just go down south to LA so yeah I remember at the time being like damn Atlanta and I had friends who came to Spelman and Morehouse and Clark and then back then Morris Brown and people would come here you know because all black folks mm-hmm. have to like have some ties to the south so people would come down here for family reunions and different things and I just would always my people would always come back to Oakland like girl Atlanta was so much fun it was like da 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 Spelman yeah. da 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 and I was like, well, damn. <laughs> and I just always heard, like, I always had stories about different Black people going. So whether they moved, they went for a visit or a function, everybody was going. And so I was like, well, what about Atlanta? You know, having this conversation myself. And I was like, okay. So I remember going on Craigslist back when, like, our lives are on mm-hmm. Craigslist. Right. And I remember looking at apartments. And so, like, a one-bedroom on Peachtree was, like, 675 and different stuff. And I was like, what? what? In the <laughs> what? girl so that's why I said you know coming from Oakland I'm like girl my I was house poor my first apartment I couldn't afford nothing but the toilet paper and to pay my rent and really I couldn't afford either of those but anyway <laughs> so that inspired me because I was like wait I can go down here black people it's affordable you know like I just have this connections pull there so I was like okay I'm going and I remember telling my mom and I think she kind of played it off at first and was like okay girl like whatever and then I remember researching schools here and I applied to the, our institute I got in and then I said, Mom, I got into school, I'm going. And I bought a one-way ticket. You know, I saved a couple of dollars. And by a couple, I literally do mean a couple of dollars. And when my mom found out how much money I was taking with me. She was like, Hell no. You're not gonna go as my child across the country with that little amount of money in your bank account and things. She was like, What are you gonna eat? What are you gonna do? And I was like, Well, you know. You know, on some like twenty two year old chick. Right, right. So yeah, I my mom cleaned out her savings account, handed me everything and was like, Look you need to take care of yourself and this is how you're going to do it. I'm so grateful. I could not, I can't do anything in this life without my mom, but Mm -hmm. you know, for her to do that for me to make sure that her child was taken care of was so beautiful. So yeah, I touched down 2009 and it was definitely a culture shock. So Mm -hmm. in that way, like Oakland is what I knew. It felt comforting to me. It felt safe for me in every way, emotionally, you know? So even growing Mm -hmm. up in the hood, it's your hood. You know, it's like why people you can go to, you can go to the hood in New York and I'm like, Ooh, what is this? But right. you know, at home I'm like, okay, this, I know these people, these, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. different. So it's such a culture shock for a million different reasons. The accents, the minimum wage, I think at the time was like $7 an hour. Mm-hmm. It was just stuff that I was like, Ooh, what are y'all doing down here? You know, mm-hmm. it's a, I think black folks are so diverse here and it's so beautiful, but I'm also like a different kind of black person because yeah. just meaning that I come from the West. Right. So just the things that we do, the way that we talk, My vernacular, just my accent, all these different things that people were making fun of me for. When I first started calling out here, people were like, oh, that's the California girl. She'll never stop talking about Cali. All she did was talk about Cali. And I was like, damn right. So I was definitely uncomfortable in so many ways. I think, again, being a loudmouth, I found... And this is obviously not for all Southern women and not all Atlanta women, but I found that people were a little more, um, I don't even know the word waspy is what came to mind, but I don't know any black people really be waspy, but you know, Mm -hmm. people just weren't as like loud and growing up, I was going to protest and like, you know, we were Mm -hmm. talking about sex openly and just all these things. And Mm -hmm. so to come here and then be speaking openly about it, people were like, Ooh, why are you so, you know, it was definitely Mm -hmm. that. But I remember my Black history professor in high school used to always say, you're not learning unless you're uncomfortable. And boy, was Mm. I uncomfortable. I had no friends. I literally moved here. I didn't know a single person. I didn't have anybody who was like, oh, girl, let's do, you know. So I was just wildly, wildly uncomfortable. I brought like four DVDs with me. So I would just sit in my room and just watch like the four DVDs that I had back to back Back to to back back over and over and over. So after school I would literally just come home, and do some homework and watch my little I think I had um so random, but Kamora Lee Simmons Life in the Bass Lane. Do you remember she had yeah. that reality show? Oh, I do. Girl, she was everything back then. Everything. Oh my god. So it's like the yeah. one yeah, so it's like the one DVD that I kept on repeat. And yeah, it was just uncomfortable. But I was like, okay, I just have to keep moving. And I also would say, which I've changed the language around that. At the time I used to always say that I will not leave Atlanta until I've conquered this city. Mm. Now, I do not believe any city but specifically Atlanta is a city of, of, to be conquered I've changed my thinking around that I think what I was trying to find was like how to make myself a home in a community mm-hmm. and I've done that as of today but back then I was just I mean I was just lonely I really just yeah. yeah I had a girlfriend at the time we broke up right after I moved here so I was just out here by myself and making friends with just random people in between classes and stuff so it was definitely super uncomfortable I had no like safety net you know mm-hmm. so yeah. It was, it was hard for me. So I think, in a, I sometimes say that in a, in a way I've grown up in Atlanta, not because I was a child when I moved here, I was 22 when I touched down here. But as we now know, as someone in their mid thirties, like you're a child, you're 22, you don't know shit, mm-hmm. but I definitely moved here. i was like, Oh, I'm gonna, you know, do this and I'm going all this kind of stuff. So I had that mentality. But so I grew
1: up. Yes. That is what I mean. I grew up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So mentally, I grew up and I really just, yeah, I had to just make the most of it because I really, I wasn't going to go home and be like, well, girl, it just didn't work out. I'm like, you know, I just didn't have any money or school didn't go right. No, I was like, I'm not leaving until I have like, you know,
1: put my like flag in the
2: ground mm-hmm. type, of, type of idea, you know?
1: Mhm. I remember thinking that when I was in New York too. I was yeah. <laughs> there for like five years and I was like, I don't I Right, But out-
2: New York is the kind of city it's like so much harder to like, it'll eat you to, up uh, yes yeah. uh, no yes 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 yeah. and New York will eat you up spit you out and then do it all over and then be like I will what? say <laughs> yeah and then what, what you gonna do Atlanta so like, though I will say is a even in this moment you know I'm, I'm sort of cradling my arms like I'm holding a baby Atlanta because it's a little slower it's less expensive I, at the time I feel like it was less competitive you know mm-hmm. in many ways I was going to school for fashion and retail management we don't have a a fashion scene in comparison to New York, LA, Milan, those kind of places. So Atlanta doesn't chew you up in that way. Mm -hmm. We're like, I knew I couldn't go to New York. I just didn't have the money and I didn't have the mentality at the time, even though I always thought I was going to move to New York. Atlanta is a little softer Mm -hmm. and it is right. The accents are softer. People are sweeter. There's a sense of hospitality, Mm -hmm. a camaraderie between black folks. So yes, it's it's different, but we had the same mentality. I just, you definitely had it harder than I had it.
1: (laughs) I was like, why are you doing this to me? (laughs) I want to leave on my terms, but sometimes that's not always how life goes. But I would say like, it takes heart to go after a place. uh, Well, one go after an idea with no blueprint, like Bohemian, but also go after a place where you are your own life support. Yeah. But I think how we pour into like that kind of bravery me is also how we pour into ourselves. Being like, I'm going to do this with conviction. Like, I'm going to go across the country. I'm not going to know anyone. I'm not Not a single person. (laughs) I can put out all my dollars on one hand, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Yes. Even though it, like, in hindsight, maybe it was, like, reckless or, like, (laughs) short-sighted. But that's also a reflection of, like, tenacity and, like, will, you know? But for sure, that's what it takes for yeah. sure, for sure. If um, you want to continue and stay and sustain. Yeah. But you moved to Atlanta about 10 years ago and <laughs> your mom also recently moved there. And what you said, she did. we talked like was so sweet because <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for a 22 year old to move across the country. Um, yeah. But then for someone who is born and like lived in one town, at Oakland, you mentioned that her relocation to Atlanta is an opportunity for legacy, and yes, an opportunity yeah. for you guys' with legacy together as well. Like you, like Atlanta is like a new route, you know, a new yeah, like, it is whatever it is. new foundation, yeah, new foundation. I'm wondering, when it comes to legacy, what do you want yours to be as? as a black woman, as someone who identifies as queer, as a creative, what do you want to leave behind or message you want to like truly be yours?
2: That I fiercely like stood up for my people and like my, my people meaning black folks, like my, my, my sense of pride for Oakland run seat, my sense of pride for my blackness is like, is who I am.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It means so much to me. I said in our book that if I woke up tomorrow and wasn't, black, I would probably be suicidal. It just, I, I love it. I love everything about what it means to be black and a black woman. um, even in this fucked up country. I love it. So that would, that would be what I want people to say about me is that I like did my absolute best to show up for like my people. Mm-hmm. I think when I mentioned to you about legacy because my mom sold the house that I was like, you know, born and raised in, in Oakland. And I, when she first told me she was going to do that, I was heartbroken. Mm-hmm one, because it's so expensive. And I was like, if we leave, we can never come back or, you know, Mm -hmm. without the financial means to do so, because she bought the house for $80,000 in 1986. I think it's now appraised for 675. It's a thousand square feet. Like, that's just insane. So Mm -hmm. I felt like we were giving up a little bit. I felt like we were letting it go. I felt like, is this why gentrification happens? You know, they always say like, tell your grandma, don't sell the house, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't have children, but you know, sort of same idea about my mom. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, mom, are you sure you want to do that? Like you could leave it for us and me and my brother and stuff like that. And she was just like, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm I'm tired. I'm, I'm ready to wash my hands of it. And I kind of said to myself and sort of made it okay for me is that my mom has lived her life and she's done so much and been through so much good, bad, and in between, and why doesn't she get to like put her feet up in mm-hmm. whatever city, whatever home, right. whatever that looks like? And this is she works super hard to get to that house, so it's also her choice and her prerogative to do whatever the fuck she wants with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had to wrap my head around that, and then I thought to myself, like, well, I've laid down roots in Atlanta, and at the time when she was telling me that, I was in the process of trying to buy a home. So, and I thought, Morgan, what's wrong with you know? You purchasing property here and your mom doing the same, and y'all being closer together and being able to like sort of set up shop in Atlanta. Like, why can't this be where you mm-hmm. do that? Mm-hmm. Just because you love your home doesn't, you know, you're not any, you know, you're still from Oakland. And that's still your pride. That's still always where will be your home. That doesn't have shit to do with your zip code, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had to wrap my head around that. And I really just, I knew that I could create a legacy here too. And so mm-hmm. it was important for me to then to buy property, for my mom to do the same, to be able to like, like I said, sort of set up shop here. But I, I want folks to know that like, again, no matter what zip code I'm in, <laughs> that I ride for my people always. Yeah. doesn't matter whether I'm buying, renting or sleeping on someone's couch. Like my dedication to us is what I'm about and what I need people to like know and feel. And I feel like the work that I do in my personal life, in my brand and my business, the words that I speak the way that I show up for us, like says that.
1: It absolutely does. I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. Thank you, Morgan. This was beautiful. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to join me and have this conversation.
2: Yes. I feel so blessed that you asked yeah it is i love connecting i think we talked about that when we spoke last week i just love connecting with other black women i'd be so juiced i'm an extreme extrovert i don't know mm-hmm. if you can tell, <laughs> I but I love, I, really to run <laughs> I love to talk to people i love to connect i say like i just you know came back from philadelphia and i was joking the girl i'm dating was like everywhere you go you ask people where are you from what you do where are you at what you i'm like i've always been that girl and so yes i feel again so blessed that you even asked of me of course um, that you just wanted to sort of learn more about my story. And I've Mm -hmm. also enjoyed learning about you.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Likewise. (laughs) And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to life i swear you can follow life i swear on instagram and if you haven't yet subscribe rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast fix and learn more at life i i hope you join me next week for another episode in the meantime be well friend